Welcome to the Juicebox Podcast. My name is Matthew. And I'm Briley. And in this series of conversations, we'll be sitting down with the builders and community members of the Juicebox ecosystem. Today, we'll be speaking with Pablo and Corey from Moondow. Pablo and Corey are the co-founders of Moondow, a worldwide collective of people united by the mission of decentralizing access to space research and exploration. In this episode, we learn about the history of Moondow, the importance of making space research and exploration decentralized, and their Ticket to Space NFT, which is a free mint contest for anyone to win a chance to go to space on Blue Origin this year, 2022. We are so excited to sit down with some true galaxy brains today. Yeah, this is our special uh, intergalactic episode of the JuiceCast, so we're super excited. Just to get started, can you tell us about your backgrounds? Maybe we can start with Corey. Uh, what were you up to before you got involved with Web3? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so I'm one of the co-founders of Moondow. Before Web3, well, I graduated last year and I was doing a master's in engineering, working on biomedical AI, where I took vital signs from patients and threw them in machine learning algorithms and tried to predict when something catastrophic was about to happen. and really considered sort of staying in the field, but I don't know, there were just murmurs of Web3 and I'd been in crypto for a minute, but ideas of sort of digital ownership and sort of internet property rights and stuff like that started to pull me in. And that's what led me to Web3 and eventually Munda. Well, given your past interest in vital signs, do you have any thoughts on the current market? I mean, you know, we could, <laughs> we, we could use a hint, you know? There's going to be a catastrophic event. If we threw it in a machine learning algorithm, <laughs> there's something happening. Awesome, awesome. And uh, what about you, Pablo? Yeah, actually, weirdly enough, I also have a little bit of a background in like biotech. When I was like 15 or so, my best friend's mom ran a, a lab in Michigan. I, I grew up in Ann Arbor and uh, I actually worked at that lab. And then, you know, a startup that came out of that for like about eight years till I was like 23. Yeah, after that, I, I studied mechanical engineering. I was like always super into like robotics and stuff like that, but then got really into computer science in college. And I worked at, you know, in, in big tech after graduating. I worked at, I guess, both of, you know, the big enemies of, uh, you know, Web3 and, and crypto. I worked at f both Facebook and Google. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think that they, they it kind of shaped me into the person that I am right now. And, you know, it's like, I don't think that either of the people working at those companies or like evil or anything like that. Like I have a lot of good friends that are still at those companies, but it definitely did inspire the big change into like decentralized systems or sort of like away from, you know, huge monopolies of power and data. So yeah, I got really into this idea of, of DAOs in like 2020. I just became like obsessed with them, basically. I, I was like, this is totally like the future of how people are going to work together, how people are going to coordinate. I think it's like a huge refresh button on a lot of really old laws and regulations. And I think, I don't know, it's just to me, it's like one of the most optimistic corners of technology and like the Internet right now. And do you have some thoughts on how your experiences in Web2 formed your interest in Web3 and sort of what you took away from that experience working in that context, working at something like a Google or, a, you know, another big tech company, sort of what you learned from that experience and how it led you into this new space? There's like a lot of parts to that question. I feel like you you go into like sort of these big tech companies and it's like heaven on earth, you know, like to some degree, like you get a bunch of free food, massages, like you're getting paid super well. Wow. Yeah. And 
to some degree, I feel like it, it kind of like makes you a little bit disconnected, you know, just like living this like extremely like lavish lifestyle is like straight out of college. So not to say that like the people there are like disconnected or anything like that. But you know, it's like hard to like, I feel like it's like a whole ecosystem, you know, and then once you're in it, you know, like I, I was working maybe like 30 hours a week, you know. <laughs> so it was like pretty chill. And the, the thing that I realized, I guess, the most is that a lot of, I feel like the world's talent, you know, is, I, I don't want to say like captured, <laughs> but it's sort of like, I feel like it's kind of true that the way that a lot of these like big tech companies work to some extent is that they just hire out all of the best talent, mm. especially like young talent. And then, you know, just like give them an awesome life, honestly, and make it really difficult for them to leave. Another thing, though, is that like these companies are like really big and their incentive structures are all based on sort of ad revenue models. And that has a lot of implications. So I feel like the, the whole thing is really ripe for something new to come in and disrupt what they're doing. And I think that this whole world is really flipping the whole game on its head, you know, and I want to take part in that sort of this revolution. I, I totally have thought about that myself with big tech kind of, you know, pulling in all this talent. And at least what I found with entering Web3 is I kind of love when I see all these people that are like, yeah, I just quit my job at Google or just left Instagram and I'm going to start working in Web3 full time. And I'm like, yes, people are finally sort of taking a path into something that can benefit everyone and not just one person's business. So I, I really connect with you on that. Do either of you have previous experience in other DAOs before founding MoonDAO? I was at Constitution DAO, and then before that, I was uh, in. I was working on this other DAO with some friends. It hasn't fully like launched yet. Moon DAO has taken up most of my time, but it's called Junto DAO. I'm pretty much fully focused on Moon DAO right now. Yeah, Constitution DAO is that's like a whole other crazy story. And what about you, Corey? Uh, yeah, so my journey actually didn't start with DAOs. Sort of going into Web three, it sort of meandered in that direction. The classic thing of well, I had crypto sort of late 2016, early 2017. I think. Bitcoin was rallying back then and a lot of people were onboarded. I was actually kind of interested in the ICO phase of like 2017, but then I got turned off my interest waned because of all the scammers and the rug pulls. And then NFTs started popping up. Uh, maybe for me, it came into view last year. And yeah, again, the idea of digital ownership. And from that, I jumped into this company called Filter, which is like a YC company. And at the time, I still think they are, but at the time they were building an NFT marketplace for AR items. And it was through sort of exploring that, that I started learning about DAOs and jumped into a few DAOs, just like being there on the Discord, not as a participant and really being deeply, deeply involved. It was MoonDAO. That's really where I learned everything. All right. So for anyone tuning in that doesn't know, what is MoonDAO? So MoonDAO is, it's hard to define really what a even the question of like what a DAO is, I feel like is it can be tricky. It's a pretty overloaded thing, but I, I feel like I, I like to just say, you know, it's just a collective of people from all over the world that are united in sort of this idea of decentralizing access to space. And by that, we mean making space accessible to anyone in the world to experience, regardless of their financial means, or doing community projects in space, funding space research, basic science, but then getting people from all over the world that are interested uh, to collaborate in this stuff. So 
doesn't matter like where you're from, uh, you can, you know, help govern this thing and uh, fund different projects inside of our DAO that can deal uh, with anything from like building uh, a rocket, which is what we want to do after sending some of our members up into space, which also, by the way, we've like bought tickets with Blue Origin to send some of our members up into space to things like, you know, drafting a constitution for how, you know, governance uh, would look like for our group. We have a bunch of different projects. It's pretty interesting. I, I kind of do want to go into sort of like how the Mundao projects go, but I think that's kind of like the core part of what makes Mundao Mundao, but I'll stop there for now. I'm curious what Corey would say to this too. Yeah, I think Paulo said it really well. Really simply, Mundao is, our aim is to decentralize space exploration. And for me, how I explain Mundao to my friends is we're a DAO with really a singular mission of going to the moon in a decentralized way. That's how I look at it. And we think the decentralized approach is crucial when it comes to space exploration. That's a really interesting area to parse. We can go deep on stuff like this. You know, sometimes a top-down approach is the best way to do something. And sometimes a bottom-up approach, like a decentralized approach is good. And I was thinking about this recently. So you've got companies like Tesla, where maybe a top-down approach is almost necessary if you want to build electric vehicles, right? It's kind of hard, you know, for a community to come together and figure out capital expenditures, supply chains, all that sort of thing. Right. And maybe building a rocket probably falls into a similar category. And I think companies like SpaceX are doing a good job at it. But space exploration isn't just about rocket building, right? Just like the voyage of Columbus wasn't just about boats. <laughs> There's a human element involved in the story of sort of collectivizing humans to jump on board the idea of exploration or space exploration, to fund the right projects and, you know, inspire people to genuinely take a stab at going to space. And I think it's that human element that requires or, or is best fit with a bottom-up decentralized approach. I think that's where Moondao fits in. And that's not to say that we won't build rockets, guys. We've got projects going on currently that think about that, that work on the idea of sending satellites up to space or building a rocket. And we do have money that we can funnel into this. And there are ways that you can make building a rocket fit in a larger decentralized approach. We, we've had ideas of Moondao being this larger decentralized ecosystem with sort of centralized entities embedded in it. Because when we've spoken to engineers in the past, it's clear that they sort of prefer hierarchical structures when it comes to getting engineering decisions done. But I think that Moondao can be that larger decentralized ecosystem to capture that human element of space exploration. Thank you, both of you, for giving your own explanation on something that's so big and hard to explain in many ways. Could you tell us quickly what is the origin story of Moondao? Like, where did this idea come from? <laughs> I always love to say that it started as a joke, you know, like, <laughs> so I was involved in Constitution now. And then after like the core team abandoned that, there's like all this energy of people that are like running around like, whoa, what is a DAO? This thing is incredible. Like, let's do another one. <laughs> And so there were like a few other like discords that kind of popped up after, you know, Constitution now kind of fell apart, I guess. And inside one of those, I met Corey. So Corey and I met on Discord, <laughs> which is crazy. And at the time, inside of this Discord that we found, someone had posted this massive lunar asteroid that was going up for auction. And Corey, me, and, and a few others were like, whoa, like, what if we bought this massive rock? Uh, which was kind of a joke. Like, what if we pretended that we're like doing space governance on this asteroid? And the joke is, okay, we're, we're buying the moon one rock at a time. And, you know, Moondao kind of sounds funny. Like, this could be interesting. But then uh, I like hopped on a call with Corey 
And it got kind of serious at the same time. We were like talking about what our values were and, you know, what we thought would be cool in the space and, and why we thought space was interesting and why space is something that has actually makes a lot of sense that a DAO would get involved in because space kind of is this frontier of, uh, and we don't really know how we're going to, I guess, come together. Our whole world, right, is sort of divided up into these nations. And historically, they've sort of competed over space, you know. Mm -hmm. But now we have all these new tools where people can collaborate across borders. It doesn't matter where you're from. As long as you have an internet connection, you can just hop into a group chat and be like, hey, guys, I love space. I want to do stuff in space. <laughs> and then people can pool money together and then fund really awesome projects. So there's something like that makes a lot of sense about a DAO trying to tackle this idea of space exploration because it's this dream that everyone has from all over the world and it's sort of like this invitation you know to rethink how we want to organize ourselves on say the moon or like mars and it sounds really far-fetched but these are like real issues that humanity faces and do we want like Corey said kind of like a top-down approach where the current sort of power structures that exist at the moment are the ones that kind of dictate what that society is going to look like or do we want a bottom-up sort of like more human way of trying to figure out how we collaborate with other people and how we come together and sort of tolerate each other and figure out you know okay uh, you speak a different language but we can translate things back and forth and come to some consensus and you know at the end of the day we're just united in this common mission so it's been really cool i guess the journey that we've gone on so far and we're like super international so that presents its own unique challenges and it's been kind of a, a very strange trip and i think it's only going to get stranger more interesting and more fun but yeah i'm curious what Corey thinks yeah, no, Pablo, what you said is it rings true in my heart and I hope the listeners' hearts. One thing that's really important is what you said about the power structures. And I feel like space exploration as an industry has been very exclusionary. And there are regulatory reasons for it. Space exploration companies or organizations tend to be geofenced because of this thing called ITAR. And there's this really amazing quote that I think we like to mention all the time. We were speaking to these guys at Space Chain, uh, and this one particular individual, Jeff, uh, Jeff Garzik, and he said something like, um, rockets are essentially ICBMs without the warhead on it. So it's sort of a technology <laughs> that as a country, you want to safe keep, right? And that's fair enough. But space exploration is something that's meant to unite humanity, right? Everyone is abstracted to become just Earthlings. Earthlings, and then you want to explore sort of outer space. But space exploration hasn't done that. It's pitted us against each other. You mm -hmm. know, we literally call space exploration space races, right? The first space race pitted countries against each other, the United States and the Soviet Union. And now we're sort of pitting private organizations against each other. And sure, there are regulatory reasons, and sure, there are defense reasons. I think Mundao represents an organization that could be inclusionary when it comes to this area of space exploration. And that's so important if you try to think in longer time spans. If you think in time spans of thousands of years, you begin to realize that if we extrapolate on the way things are going now, it just can't work in a world where we have civilizations on the moon. This is something that I realized when I was speaking to the people at, at Open Lunar, and Pablo will remember this as well, but they painted a picture of a world where we had civilizations on the moon, where the lifeline of that civilization, oxygen, food, whatever you name it, diapers, is gated through private organizations. Say there's a private org that sends you your oxygen from the earth and to the moon, and you're relying on that private org. You know, they have a lot of power over you and mm -hmm. can potentially, the simplest thing they can do is up prices in a crazy way because they're a natural monopoly. There are harsher things they can do politically. 
And, you know, I, I don't think it'll extrapolate in that way, hopefully, if the right structures are set in place. And I do want to say that I think that SpaceX and other space exploration companies are doing an amazing thing. But I think there's a gap where Moondao has to exist or some type of entity that opens up an inclusionary way of going into space. Because otherwise, I think it would be catastrophic. Personally, that's what I think. Have you both always had a strong interest in space? I'm just wondering sort of what you think it is about the mystery and the untapped potential of space that has captivated humanity's interests and uh, propels all this research forward. It feels like the interest in space and space exploration is this kind of shared value across different cultures and geographic borders. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I had these glow-in-the-dark stars on my childhood bedroom on the ceiling. And obviously that was before I knew anything about space, you know, in, in terms of science or a, any of these other questions that are involved in space exploration. But even before then, it had somehow captivated my interest. So I'm wondering where you both find this interest in space and what you think it is that draws humans to it. I feel like it's just the, the unknown. There's so many fundamental questions, you know, about being a human or like why we're here or like what's really going on. And, you know, I think we're extremely fundamentally limited in our ability to answer those questions at the present moment. And probably the number one thing that we can do to get better answers to those deep questions is to explore. And I think Elon Musk says this a lot, like exploring the scope and scale of consciousness, you know, is one of the most important things that we can do. And, you know, I, I agree. It's like, why are we here on this earth, right? What's really going on? Why are we living the life that we're living? There are all these insane questions, right? And I don't know the answer to them, but I do know that there's a lot that we don't know. So we might as well figure out, okay, how can we explore the things that are out there? You know, you, you look up into the stars and you're like, oh, there are these crazy dots in the sky. <laughs> and apparently they're like super far away and there's a bunch of other like suns out there and there are a bunch of other planets. <laughs> what the hell is going on out there? And can we go and explore this? <laughs> Everyone, you know, as a kid or just in general, you know, they can kind of get behind that. It's like, all right, what the hell's going on here? What's up there? Can we go see it? Can we go like touch it? <laughs> can we go there? Like, you know, it's... yeah. <laughs> I'd love to dive right into the roadmap that all of Moondell has been working on. And the first phase of your roadmap was your token launch, which was fundraised via Juicebox. How did you find Juicebox and why did you choose to use it for managing the treasury? So I, I actually met Django during Constitution Dow. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, during the like early stages of Constitution Dow, you know, me and a, and a few others were like, okay, how can we get people to start throwing in contributions right now? We reached out to Mirror that also has like a crowd raise thing, and Django was like actually just in the chats, and uh, I was just talking to him, you know, in the in the Dev channel, and I had actually never heard of Juicebox until that moment, but you know, he showed me how it works. We like walked through the the smart contracts as like a group. He like even just like presented his screen <laughs> and Jing and I, I feel like we both just like really got along. You know, I'm, I'm a software engineer and, and so is he. And I, I feel like I could really tell that he has the right mentality, I guess. He, he really just doesn't care about anything other than, you know, doing the right thing and really cares about the technology 
behind it and I feel like it really showed. And so after Constitution DAO, I told Django about, you know, this project and how Corey and I were thinking about buying a space rock, which was the initial goal of Moondao is buying the biggest rock we could find <laughs> as a joke. <laughs> and he was like, oh, sweet. That sounds super cool. We actually were one of the first to do like a video demo with Juicebox. So if you look in like, in like the Juicebox documentation, there's like a video on like how to use Juicebox and you can hear like a a very young Corey and me <laughs> uh, going like, hey guys, yeah, we're buying a rock and uh, <laughs> we're moving now. <laughs> and it was cool, especially I feel like Juicebox is really a DAO. Yeah. You know? Not to like throw shade at like other crowdfunding things or whatever, but I guess on like a broader point, we, we talked about like people leaving the Web 2 world to go into Web 3, you know? And I don't want to say like we want to totally, you know, not welcome any of the Web 2 minded people into this Web 3 world that we're creating, you know, but I have noticed that I was always in it sort of to dream up a new way to do incentives and structure things mm -hmm. and all that. So when I see like people taking big VC money from the venture capitalists that like, funded all of the Web 2 side of things, and you know, a lot of it comes down to values. I'm like, eh. I just feel less inclined. But then, you know, I see something like Juicebox, which is like totally just like bootstrap. It's just a community. They didn't, they built this from the ground up, you know? And I just love that sort of like punk vibe. We're just a community and we're just putting this together. We're just throwing it. It's like not corporate. It's just like, hey, we're just regular people, you know, trying to like make something new. And that's the vibe that I really enjoy, you know? And I felt like that was the vibe that I was getting from Juicebox. And I was like, you know, I want to work with these guys over like anyone else that does crowdfunding. But yeah, that, that was just from my perspective at the time. I was like, Juicebox seems cool. I like Django. I like the community. I was like in some of your guys' town halls and I was like, yeah, these guys are awesome. I want to work with them. Yeah, I mean, totally vibe with what you're saying. I think Django is a really special member of the broader community because he is so earnestly interested in what this technology enables and what's possible for us all using this tech. And he's just a fucking relentless builder, always working to make things better. And I respect him a lot for that. And like you said, Juicebox is actually a DAO and it's not a social club. It truly is a DAO and functions like a DAO. And I think the governance that has been established at Juicebox is really inspiring and should be used as a model for other DAOs. Not to brag or anything, I just think that it is truly a uh, well thought out governance process and has been automated in various ways that are efficient, but also have good outcomes. And, you know, we've looked back a little bit at the way that Moondao was set up on Juicebox and there were no reserved tokens. And you've talked a little bit about how it was important for this token launch to be accessible to everyone and that there was no special pricing for VCs or no tokens set aside for investors. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and sort of why it was important to you to launch the token this way? I guess the Web2 analogy would be if co-founders started a startup with taking zero equity and sort of got paid in the same way that employees were from some options pool. We found it really important to set up Moondao without some pre-token allocation. One thing was to emphasize the mission of space exploration, of doing it in a decentralized way. 
I think it called for not taking a pre-token allocation. I think it was the meaningful thing to do. And I've noticed other DAOs that have popped up have employed sort of a similar approach when at the time we did it, I hadn't really seen that done before. And it's actually worked out. I think we raised at the time $8.3 million worth of ETH because people saw that we're really all in for the mission. There wasn't necessarily a financial gain for the people starting it. There were other things that we did, like we chose to fully dox ourselves as a way of showing credibility and trust. If this goes down, you guys know who we are. You can come after us. And I think it's little things like that, that actually aided in building our culture. And it was really, really important to set the culture right. And so we only actually got paid the first time around when everyone else that was involved in the mission, like even past us, got paid and in the same format. It's not like we had tokens beforehand. And mm. I'm really glad that we did do that. I don't know what Pablo thinks. I'm curious what you think, Pablo. Yeah, I mean, we're a community and I don't think of myself or, you know, Corey doesn't either as like special in any sort of way when it comes to like our relationship that we have with the DAO, you know, we just are setting it up and along with like a bunch of other people. And we feel pretty strongly that, you know, it's just like everyone should be treated the same way. So like, you know, I put in money like anyone else. If the thing doesn't do well, then Corey and I don't do well as well, you know, like, and there's something that we keep going back to at Moondow, just, I feel like in, in life generally is sort of like this scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. And, you know, the, the scarcity thing to do would be like, okay, well, there are this many tokens and uh, I'm going to grab this many for myself and the other founders, and then the rest will go to, you know, you, you guys are like a public but then the abundance mindset thing to do is like, okay, well, the more people that we get on board, the more people that kind of share this vision with us, the more valuable the whole thing becomes. So I mm -hmm. think that in general, the abundance way of doing things where many people win together is often, you know, even as like someone who's greedy, right, often outperforms this sort of like scarcity mentality. And I feel like the same way applies to space in general, where like, Earth has like limited resources mm -hmm. and we're not really living in a very sustainable way currently, right? And so the way that things kind of work right now is it's very scarcity mindset, I guess. So like, mm -hmm. yeah, there are limited resources and it's kind of like a fight to be able to, you know, survive and live and, and you know, yeah. but the thing is there are all these resources outside of our planet, you know, that we can tap into. And there's the abundance mm -hmm. of sort of like the universe that is out there. I feel like it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, like if it's like an organization, we want to be abundant because we're trying to, you know, shift many people into like sort of like a more abundant mentality when it comes to space and life on earth you know so the second phase of moon dao's roadmap is to send a dao member to space and that's happening on june 3rd your ticket to space nft is going to be available to mint and can you tell us about what this means for moon dao it's our big splash in the world it's i think one of the most meaningful things a dao has done personally the thing is, so far in history, space exploration has been gated with a hefty price tag to the rest of the world, and it's only been accessible to the privileged or the very, very lucky. Mm -hmm. And I think Moondow changes this for the first time in history with our Ticket to Space NFT collection. We're selling, can't even use the word selling because they're for free. We've got 9,060 NFTs that you can mint for free. You just have to sign up on our Moon list, and that requires just following our Twitter, following our Discord, really simple stuff. And in that process, if you have one of these NFTs, you stand a chance to fly to space really, really soon. 
And it's just this really special experience of there was a community that months ago raised money to make this happen. And it's all culminating in the next few months where someone random gets to fly thanks to hundreds and hundreds now, tens of thousands of people collectivizing together and going, hey, let's send someone up to space. And I think the process is really quite interesting. I'm going to leave it to Pablo to describe it. But I can tell you that, at least from my experience, this has never been done before in the way that Moondial has done it. And we really paved the path. And it's quite interesting seeing copycats pop up that literally just copy and paste our documentation, copy and paste our website. Really? But I'm proud of what we've achieved. Guys, we can rant for ages about the copycats <laughs> that have popped up. All of them have spoken to Pablo or myself on calls with a different agenda and then later on turn up with the same roadmap. <laughs> And but not decentralized, so funded via investments. And this is not to throw shade. I, I really think that space exploration in all its forms is meaningful. And if you're sending someone up to space, that's valuable. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're doing is particularly special. Maybe Pablo, you can go deep on that. <laughs> well, what's that quote? Uh, it's like imitation is the sincerest form of flattery or, or whatever. Like, I, I think it's like cool that other people are like catching on that. Like you can do really interesting things with NFTs. Like Corey said, it, it is a little bit disappointing when it's like someone that has like talked to you about this before and then they go and do the same thing, but with private investment, you're like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> but I'm like, it is what it is. It's the price that we pay for like transparency and sort of like literally all of our work chats are out in the open. We don't have any private chats and that's like by design. And so, yeah, anyone can kind of like see exactly what our plans are and exactly what we intend to do. And then they can copy us if they want. But regardless, I feel like it's not worth spending any like mental energy on. Ah, oh, they, they copied us. But yeah, Corey's right. We, we've had so many, <laughs> so many people have from the beginning of Moondao, even to, to today, there's been a lot of very, very, very similar things that have popped up, but were the real some shady. <laughs> 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 but in terms of like selecting the, the astronaut, we wanted to make it free so the community bought the tickets right and at first we were thinking like okay we'll we'll charge some small amount but honestly like the community paid for the tickets and there are a lot of people in our community that come from like you know parts of the world where they don't have the same economic means you know we're like you know it'd be cool if we just made them all free and i feel like this also just like is like a inspiring thing to do you know like people will be like oh well, like that's so cool. Like they're, they're letting anyone mint these things and they're not trying to take any money for themselves. Yeah, it just seems like a cool thing to do. But the thing is, you know, giving anything out for free is like actually harder than it's harder to give money away than it is to make money. <laughs> I've heard that quote a lot. And in our case, right, because they are free and because you have like a governance airdrop that comes with it, too. And there are like other perks to them. We have to do all these things to like avoid like a Sybil attack or people like making multiple fake identities, you know, and then buying a bunch of these for themselves. We say that you can only limit one per wallet, but then it's like, you know, someone can just make a bunch of wallets. So we've actually asked for like a full ID and like you have to match your face to the ID. Like we do like basically KYC with like every single one. And that's our, we call it the, the moon list. And so we're, we're basically saying like, okay, you can only have one NFT and that NFT needs to be in a wallet that's registered on this website, our moon list. And then if you have that NFT, you basically are in a random drawing to be selected up uh, to go into space. And so anyone with an NFT could potentially be selected to go, which is like crazy. Blue Origin ultimately has the, the last say with it. 
you know, they, they have to basically check and be like, okay, well, this person isn't a terrorist. They're not like on some crazy, you know, list that <laughs> the military says this person can't go into space or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, right. We actually have a, a second ticket and uh, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do with the second ticket for a long time. We wanted to do something like a DAO vote, but there are some like legal issues with voting with a, a token to like give out. These tickets are extremely expensive, right? So you know, there, there might be some questions that are raised. We, like Corey and I have been on the phone with lawyers for <laughs> super, super, like how, how, how many hours would you estimate Corey? <laughs> We've just spoken to lawyers. Like it, it's <laughs> like doing a DAO is hard enough, like legally, but then also doing like, it's like international, like giveaway <laughs> is like also a lot, but we're trying to do everything basically as like buy the books as we can. But with the other ticket, we were thinking basically coming up with a short list of like people that kind of share Mundao's values that would be able to like spread the the mission and onboard a bunch of people that are interested in space and doing like community funded space projects and all of that. So we're in contact with some people right now. I, I don't want to like jump the gun and saying like we're definitely sending this person, but ultimately it would be the DAO that votes on sending uh, someone up. So we'll we'll have more information on that shortly. <laughs> in, the, in the next few days hopefully yeah okay and can you talk a little bit about why you chose blue origin over spacex or virgin galactic on the surface level you'd think that a crypto org would <laughs> automatically choose elon just for the memes if nothing else but maybe you could talk a little bit about orbital versus suborbital flights and the factors that went into that decision yeah so there, there are a few parts to this there are three key sort of spacefaring organizations that we could have gone to one was virgin galactic one was blue origin and the other was SpaceX. And these are organizations that are really hard to get in contact with. So getting in contact with Blue Origin in the first place involved a lot of luck. But I can tell you first, what was the decision maker between say a Virgin Galactic and a Blue Origin? The thing about a Virgin Galactic is it's it flies just about as high as a Blue Origin. They go past the carbon line, so you're effectively in space. But Virgin Galactic does it as almost like an airplane that flies really high. But it's a genuine spacecraft, but it'll fly at an angle and then go past the common line and then back to Earth. Whereas Blue Origin is is a rocket. It flies vertically or, or it flies up into space like a rocket would rather than, say, something that looks more like uh, an airplane. So we thought that Blue Origin would, was the cooler option. When it came to SpaceX and, and Blue Origin, it was a matter of access. And there are a bunch of factors that come with access. You know, price is a big one, which, you know, at the time, uh, and we still don't really know what the comparative prices were, but looking at the sort of space flights that are available between both orgs, it looked like Blue Origin was the more accessible one. And the other was access in terms of a network. And so before we made some genuine steps and actually getting in contact with people at any of these space orgs, we did like cold emails like anyone would. And of course we got nowhere. And so with Blue Origin, it was just truly a piece of good fortune mm. that got us in touch with Michael Edmonds, who is really one of the big leaders at Blue Origin. And that only happened through really a, a key, key person within Moondow, Cassandra Hatton, who's at Sotheby's. Mm. And not going to get into a long story there, but we were in contact with her in the first place because Moondow used to be a DAO that was trying to buy a moon rock from Sotheby's. Right. 
So had we not been that and pivoted to become a DAO that wants to go to space, we may have never gotten in touch with Blue Origin because it took her making that connection for us to get in contact with Mike Edmonds. Wow. So it was a bunch of factors, but really it was Blue Origin was who we had access to. And I think they're actually the perfect people to start this mission with. SpaceX also, so they just started with uh, space tourism, the inspiration for kind of recently, and they aren't doing any like tourism flights in 2022, but they are doing stuff in 2023. And then they're actually doing a lunar viewing where they're going around the moon. Well, Moon now really wants to be on, on one of those flights. And we're talking to people there now, and I can't really share, I guess, more details than that right now, but mm-hmm. we're not in like some sort of exclusive partnership with like Blue Origin or, or SpaceX or whoever. Yeah. But yeah, I think It'd be cool to to work with any of these companies, you know, and we don't really see our relationship with any of them as adversarial or anything, even though we're talking about privatized space race versus a DAO doing it. I think that there are ways to kind of interface the two and Mm -hmm. maybe like convince them of like some of the advantages of the way that we're doing things. So yeah, but Blue Origin, like Corey said, was just totally like a lot of it was just serendipity. We got really lucky with one of the contributors inside of Mundao that already had these connections. So yeah. It was written in the stars. <laughs> An estimated 650 million people worldwide watched the moon landing on July 21st, 1969. Do you feel that Moondao sending a DAO member or any member that mints to space is a media event or is it more than that? Mm. I mean, we're definitely going to try to make it a little bit of a of, of an event, you know, uh, we're going to have like a party to like celebrate it. We're like talking to event coordinators right now. I mean, we definitely want to celebrate this. This is like a big moment for a DAO. Like we've been working like around the clock basically to make this all happen. There's so many like moving parts behind the scenes yeah. uh, with, with this stuff. Corey and I are, are just working day and night with this stuff and our community is like around the world, you know, like we'll wake up and have, you know, a bunch of messages from people in Asia, you know, yeah. just back and forth. So it, we deserve it. <laughs> we deserve a big celebration of we fucking did it, guys. <laughs> we went to space. like <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think like we definitely want to make it a little bit of an event, but. I think that this should be like a big moment for like all of DAOs and all of Web3. Like we don't want to make it just like a, a moon DAO thing. It's like a broader win for like the, the whole ecosystem, you know? DAOs in general have like a seat at the table with a lot of these things, you know, and are starting to be taken a lot more seriously as organizations, you know? A lot of the companies that we work with, they've never worked with a DAO before. So like we're writing a lot of the playbooks on like how to interface a DAO with the legal side of things, with doing a a sweepstakes, with like very expensive contracts (laughs) and like moving the like money from like our DAO treasury over to like their fund. Like there's just like so many things that just hadn't really been done before. So I feel like this is a big win for DAOs in general. And so like I, I hope that it can be like celebrated as such. I had like a a tweet recently, you know, about like the biggest DAO projects on Juicebox and like the attention that they get from media. And so I I don't want to look like I'm thirsty for attention, like from these like big media outlets. But in general, though, there's kind of like this pattern that if a DAO has some misstep or something that goes wrong, then that is always in the news. You know, it's always like in the media, you know, oh, look at these guys. They did this bad thing and look at them you know but like when a DAO actually does succeed in like buying tickets to space and hasn't really had any like we've been generally just doing cool things it's less spicy i feel like people don't really care <laughs> like they, they like they like big failures you know <laughs> right so, right 
Hopefully that doesn't happen at Mundo, but you know, I think this can be a, a broader win and, and I hope it's sort of received that way. The third phase of your roadmap is to provide funding for space research and exploration. Does Munda have particular areas of interest in this research or exploration? And would you be funding private companies to do this? Or how exactly is this going to work? Yeah, so what we're really trying to, I guess, achieve is kind of like, I mean, it sounds like maybe sappy, but it's like uniting the world through these like collaborative projects. So like getting people from different nations, different backgrounds, to like work together on projects. So we really want to fund community oriented projects. And we want to basically build a, a network of, you know, space enthusiasts, of engineers, scientists, researchers that, uh, you know, find this stuff really, really inspiring. And yeah, we're, we're definitely focused on internal projects, but that's not to say that we couldn't give money out to a private organization that has missions and values that are like very aligned with ours. We're working on this thing, we call them like uh, Mundao projects basically, and it's the opportunity for anyone to come in and kind of like pitch, say like uh, research that they wanna do or like a project that they feel like fits into like the mission and values of Mundao. And we're like working a lot on sort of like the process of like how to pass these projects internally. And this is kind of top of mind for me right now, cause like we were just on a call yesterday with our community for a few hours to like discuss this. I think this is gonna be the really important thing with Mundao. Sending someone up into space, I feel like is just this thing to like generate buzz, make a splash like Corey said. And then we wanna convert that energy and sort of that uh, enthusiasm into real engineering projects. We have a satellite, an open source satellite that we're building as a community. Okay. We have like a, a rocket project. So we, we've spoken to this team from UCLA, it's just a student run team and they launch out of the Mojave Desert. So in the Mojave, there's an amateur rocket launch site and they have these special permits and like anyone can just go in and launch a rocket as long as it fits like certain criteria. Really? And these rockets can go up to like 45,000 feet. Yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy. We want to do like kind of crazy audacious things like that. And we have like people uh, are working on like crazy science projects that they want funding through Mundao. And that's like really cool too. Mm -hmm. So we want to make it like pretty bottom up. We don't want to force like this is our singular sort of one thing that we're doing. So with those community projects and all the research and innovation that's being developed by Mundao, is that going to be open source approach or like will Mundao like own that what gets discovered as a result or wondering, yeah, if that's going to be open source as an extension of your commitment to decentralization? Of course, yeah totally open source. It's like funded by the community and, you know, it's for everyone there. Like I said, everything that we do is like transparent and open, like all of the work. I think it's the, the right way to do it. Space is for everyone. I think it's just the right thing to do. Moondow is an open organization and our projects program is, is a way to interface with people outside of Moondow to enter in and get funded and start projects. So it just reflects the way we want to interface with the world. All right. I think we can pivot to talking a little bit about governance. Pablo, you were previously involved with Constitution DAO, and I, I think you have been vocally critical of some of their governance practices. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that and describe Moon DAO's approach to governance. Yeah, for sure. The major key thing with Constitution DAO versus Moon DAO 
is that Moondao is like uh, transparent in all of its chats. And so that doesn't mean that like anyone can write inside of the chats, but at the very least they're viewable and auditable. And the most important thing I think is that the power structure is sort of transparent and that it's an open forum in terms of discussion about certain things and making sure that everyone has like a voice and sort of the way that things are brought up inside of the DAO, I think is really, really important. At Moondao, basically, we're actually forming a written in stone kind of like constitution at the moment. We're in the late stage of forming this constitution. We've basically been doing a call every week and discussing with the community, you know, how we want to move all of like the proposals forward. And, and a lot of this is still yet to be, I guess, written in stone. But for the time being, we're using like a token-weighted voting system, and there are a lot of issues with just token-weighted voting. It's sort of like a, a rule by the rich. We've set some limits or some limitations on that, where like no one person can have more than 4% of the tokens to like vote on any specific issue. But something that we're really considering doing, and we've seen some other DAOs do this, and I think it's really cool. Our token is called Mooney, our governance token. No expectation of profit, of course, but... What I've seen a lot of DAOs do is you can basically take the governance token and then you stake it. And then you, you hold that in a box where you can't touch and you stake it for maybe say like a year or you can decide the period. And then in return, you get a kind of like soul bound governance token. And then that token can be used to vote on decisions. And then I've seen often with that token, they use quadratic voting, which I'm a big fan of the idea of quadratic voting. But in order to do that, you kind of also need some amount of proof of humanity involved as well, or some registration to like know that someone isn't just making multiple wallets. There's definitely a, a big rabbit hole of things with this stuff. And the way that proposals get put up on Snapshot is like a whole other rabbit hole that we can get into. In general, I feel like it's important that people that are very involved in sort of the day-to-day -day operations of the DAO, they should be able to comment and write recommendations about proposals or like proposals for funding and give in-depth reviews, but they shouldn't be the final decision makers or they shouldn't be able to gatekeep on that. They should only be able to give their thoughts and recommendations, say like a committee that reviews all of the proposals, because I think that introduces like a big concentration of power as well. So these are like the things that are really top of mind for us, I guess, is reducing basically the control of any like small group of people to say like what can and cannot be discussed, but then also making sure that the incentives are aligned with the token and sort of like the broader voting rights of the people. It's a lot there. <laughs> I can ramble on forever about, you know, governance stuff for sure. I'm curious what you think, Corey? Uh, yeah, I think you touched on the key points. One thing that I think is really interesting is the idea of delegate voting. It appears to me that that's something that the community wants to uh, shift away from, which is completely fine. It's the will of the DAO. But I think it is a really interesting area to look into where you're saying, look, there are some votes that I have just no subject area, no, no knowledge and understanding of, say, if it's a vote surrounding some technical decision. Do you want someone that's a chef to vote on something that has to do with something really technical, like in web dev? Perhaps not. So with delegate voting, there are ways of assigning your voting power to someone else that's trusted in the community that's an expert within the area. And it might not be something that we've implemented now, but going forward, say we start really getting into some heavy engineering and say we try to build a rocket. If there are votes to be had regarding rocket design and such, which I don't know the level of granularity we'd enter with snapshot votes around actual engineering, then ideas of delegate voting might be interesting. Like Pablo said, this is a really, really deep hole. If you're in DAOs, you're just certainly interested in governance and incentives and such. I think we are at the forefront, just like every other DAO, because it's such a new space. Everyone is innovating. 
I'm sure we'll post our constitution publicly and put it on our Twitter, maybe so that other DAOs can learn what we're doing. But I think really interesting work is being done. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that decentralization is important, but it's not easy. And organizing, especially big teams of contributors in an efficient way can be really difficult to organize. I'm wondering if either of you have thoughts on sort of the upsides and downsides of the DAO structure and what it makes possible, but also what it can make difficult as a DAO. Yeah, um, like I mentioned earlier, I think there's genuinely some solutions or some problems that are better suited for top-down approaches and others that are better for bottom-up. I think most things that are software, most things internet, benefit from bottoms-up decentralized approaches. I think it makes for more collaboration. I think it makes for uh, more inspiration. And I think you can be more innovative with software if it's open and decentralized. So I think everything really valuable will tend to become open source over time. But then there are other things that I think do benefit from a little more top-down and the answer is that the final approach might be a combination of the two. I think I mentioned earlier how building a rocket might benefit from a little more top-down approaches, but it could be embedded in a larger decentralized mechanism, which also could be really interesting. When you talk about, you're talking about the D part of DAOs, the decentralized bit. I actually think that's an easier problem right now than the A bit. I feel like with snapshot and with voting, you know, you can come down to how granular is your voting, but I feel like people have a handle on making things decentralized. And yes, the, there are criticisms where you have decentralized ideas, but you're operating on sort of centralized operating system. If you're a DAO and you're running on Discord, which is like centralized in nature, are you really a DAO? There's that. But I think the D part is actually pretty decently solved right now. I mentioned this to Pablo yesterday, last night over dinner, but I actually think the A part, the autonomous part, is something that we can really work on. Can we make the decisions flow in an autonomous way where things move automatically? And mm -hmm. if you want to sort of pivot on a decision, it's opt out instead of opt-in. So with a lot of DAOs mm. and even MoonDAO, when we change our course, it's opt-in. We have to like hard code a decision to turn left rather than turn right. Whereas it'd be great if that was opt-out. In other words, the DAO moves on its own in an autonomous fashion. And if the people in the DAO want to change course, you have to sort of opt out of a current course, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That might've been too vague, but if more people work on autonomy, I think that would actually benefit DAOs more than maybe the other bits. But that's, again, maybe a controversial, but it's my personal opinion. Yeah, there's so many rabbit holes to get in with governance and automation with DAOs. And I do think there is a lot that can be done with automating and improving the system, given that we're all figuring it out in different organizations. And looking at both your recent snapshot proposal that requires contributors to remain active in order to receive their vested tokens from phase one. And in the Discord, looking at the how to contribute, I can see that there's a push for contributors to remain active on projects in order to earn and sort of maintain their roles. And I was wondering if you could talk about the importance of this and is this sort of a gamified element of governments, like unlocking a badge or is it something else? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. This does get a little bit into sort of the specifics of how Mundao is, is sort of done its, uh, its compensation. So the way that we've sort of operated so far is we've used Coordinate, where basically, you know, after a pay period is over, then the contributors will decide, okay, I think this person should get this many tokens and so on and so forth. And then we decided that we would vest those tokens over time. And 
And something that we've noticed is that like, not everyone, a good amount of people kind of like stayed on board, but some people kind of like got their tokens and then, you know, we're like, all right, peace. <laughs> and we kind of realized like as a community, really what we want to do is set up long-term incentives for people to stay and work inside of Mundao. And, you know, just like with any organization, you, you should get paid for, you know, being there. It doesn't make so much sense to like set up incentives that would cause people to just like leave. As a DAO, we sort of discussed this and it seemed people were like kind of pretty in favor of this idea of trying to retain our contributors through this vesting kind of thing of governance tokens over time. But then we have to define sort of like what it means to be active inside of the DAO. And I feel like it can be a little tricky to figure out an appropriate definition because a lot of people are kind of part-time in a DAO and it's hard to say, okay, like what defines active engagement? And so the way that we've kind of thought about this so far is that basically you have to have like some goal that you're working towards or some kind of like defined thing inside of a project. So the way that we've organized Moondown in general is like it's a series of projects and each project has an OKR and inside of that OKR that can be like broken up into smaller tasks that need to be done. And as long as you're actively like working towards one of those tasks inside of a project, then that's pretty appropriate definition. Okay, you're you're like actively engaged. So we've kind of changed things to look something like that just to avoid, you know, someone they get their tokens and they're like, all right, peace. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, Bradley and I have some experience with the coordinate system and yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, well aware of the both the pitfalls and the potentials of that type of decentralized comp. And it's a very complex issue for sure. I was curious to know about the community at Moondao, like how many countries are represented in total at Moondao? It really does seem like a worldwide effort at this point. Yeah, that's that's actually hard to say. And I'm glad it is hard to say because everyone's pseudonymous. So I really don't know how many different countries are represented in Moondao, but I do know it's quite a bit. Just off the top of my head, there are people in Singapore, there are people, of course, in America, there are a ton of people in China, got friends in Hong Kong, Macau, Africa. I don't know where in Africa. And people in Europe, we've got uh, guys in Vietnam. I'm thinking of specific people, I'm sure more will pop up. We have French people, the list goes on and on. And really, really proud about that. We got a bunch of Brazilians now all out of nowhere. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. But yeah, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there, Corey. <laughs> Just thought it was interesting. No, no, that's it. It's yeah, been a recent I mean, phenomenon. <laughs> for sure. Philippines, Indonesia as well. Like the list goes on and on. But yeah, that, that goes back to our mission. Like to me, that's a sign that we're going down the right direction. The fact that we're not just American, for example. This is what Moondao's about, right? Breaking down those, the geofences of space exploration. You've spoken a little bit in the past about Open Lunar, which is an org dedicated to solving the sort of governance of the moon itself. And I think it's really interesting to think about the governance of the moon because it seems somehow ungoverned or not belonging to any particular nation or people. It's hard to say whether it's, you know, really sovereign in any way. And I'm wondering what relationship has formed between Open Lunar and Moondao, if any, or sort of what you see between these two organizations? And do you see the DAO governance model as a potential model going forward for a sort of cooperative future of humanity governing the moon? Yeah, I do want to say that we have just as much to learn from them as they do with us. And I think we formed a really, I think, lovely bond with, with Open Lunar. These guys have written policy on governance on the moon. So they've thought really deeply about this space longer than we have. I think it's just that DAOs have brought a technology that can 
bring what they've thought about to life. The moon actually isn't like the Wild West. There are actually regulations around it. And speaking to Open Lunar, I remember one interesting story was about a particular mission to the moon. I think it was unmanned. And it succeeded in the sense that they got the rocket got to the moon, but it failed in the sense that it crashed to get there. And in that process, some of the um, material inside the rocket was scattered onto the moon. And there was a bit of controversy because one of the materials that scattered were, contained uh, tardigrades, which are these little like microorganisms, microanimals. And there was controversy because you're not, though it was claimed that these tardigrades were dead, I think there was evidence that they were alive and releasing living tardigrades on the moon would have broken regulation, specific like lunar regulation. Mm. Uh, we are not allowed to do that. And it's really interesting because uh, the reasoning behind the regulation is that the moon is like a footprint from the past. And sometimes in a literal sense, right? Like Neil Armstrong's footprint on the moon still is there to this day undisturbed. And so when you look at the surface of the moon, it's almost like a portal into the past and any disruption to that history has huge implications. Mm -hmm. And so releasing sort of living tardigrades could potentially harm that look, look into history. So to me, that was interesting to find that, oh, snap, there is regulation around this. There are things to think about. Yeah. And Open Lunar are the perfect people to talk to to understand that. Yeah, I want to throw in one other thing, too, is that there's a big space treaty that kind of forms the basis of all space law. 1967 Space Treaty, and it states basically that there can be no national appropriation of the moon. So no nation can claim that they own the moon or anything like that. But we joke about this like on our website, but... In a way, you know, like a DAO isn't a nation. Mm -hmm. It's just people from all over the world. And, you know, a DAO isn't necessarily connected to like any one sort of political, you know, block or, or whatever. You know, it's just a group of people anyone can join. So it's kind of like, well, maybe there can't be any national appropriation of the moon. But what about something like a DAO? <laughs> um, <laughs> would be interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of complexities around that and really interesting to think about the idea of the footprint of the past on the moon and the way we have engaged with it in the past and how we approach it right now. And especially since space research is largely funded by governments and huge corporations, I'm interested to know, like, how does Moondow plan to compete with these private companies and governments that have these massive budgets have either reached out to the DAO while the project has been developing? Like uh, big, big companies or governments? I'm curious to know like both. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely like in contact with a good amount of aerospace companies in general, SpaceX and, and the like. But right. yeah, in terms of like NASA, uh, I don't think anyone from NASA has reached out. Maybe like we've had people that used to work at NASA mm. that have interacted with our community, but I don't think NASA itself has been like, hey guys, <laughs> at least not yet. I don't know, Corey, no. do you have any anything there? Corey, you have a friend also at the European Space Agency, right? Something like that. Yeah, I do have a friend at the European Space Agency. I do want to say that we're not competitive with governments funding space exploration. Like these are generally really good organizations that we would love to collaborate with. It's it's really not a competition in funding. Any sort of funding for any sort of space exploration is I think a net positive for humanity. I just think we're going about it in a different way. So NASA is centralized, permissioned, and trustful. We're decentralized, permissionless, and trustless, or mm -hmm. as trustless as we can be. NASA also tends to be a little opaque, I think, uh, whereas Moondow is completely transparent. 
can see all our chats. And of course, NASA has been around much longer, has done amazing things. So I, mm-hmm. I'm only pointing out specific things that I think Moondao has key advantages over. I'm not saying we're better than NASA, but um, it's just a different approach. And of course, I think we can fund in a different way than NASA can fund. They're probably funding much higher orders of magnitude, but I think also internally. So it's, it's just a different approach, collaboration, not competition. Yeah, I, I think it ultimately boils down to getting the right people involved or sort of interested in, in what you're doing. And yeah, we, we have some like really awesome contributors that work at some of like the leading uh, aerospace companies. And in general, I feel like if you went over someone's mind and, and soul, you know, on, on this like idea of like collaborative space projects, a lot of people are like willing to hang out and devote their time to like just helping out. And I think we've seen a lot of that. If we want to compete on the same level in terms of like doing huge, right now we're, we're, we're limited with sort of like the budget that we have. You know, our, our treasury, I, I guess, like at the moment is floating around 20 or so million. And a lot of that is like in our governance token, which we can use to like incentivize people to like work. In general, you know, I think we're going to launch other projects that should bring in more funding into the DAO over time. But yeah, I think our main mission is just to like convince people that this is the way. <laughs> this is like uh, an interesting way of doing collaborative space projects. And I think the more that we kind of build and snowball the amount of really interesting people and engineers and sort of like core competencies there will attract more and more of the right people. That's the way I sort of like think about it. The cooler things that we do in space, then the more people will like get what we're doing and then want to like just hang out and get involved. I see it as we're just trying to attract people right now. And I think that's like the most important part of a DAO. Totally, totally. On another note, I, I do think that it's notable that the core team of MoonDAO is doxxed. I think that, I mean, it, it depends, but many core teams at DAOs are often Anon, including Juicebox, I might add. And there's certainly a tension between anonymity and trust. And I think we're learning both sides of that. Trust can be also established through on-chain activity, but it can also be a question of real-life identity. And we shouldn't necessarily distrust anons, but in the same way, we shouldn't necessarily trust someone just because they are doxxed. Do you think that having a doxxed team is important for MoonDAO? And if so, why? Yeah, I mean, this is hard. (laughs) I was going to say that this is a hard thing because this is like personal, isn't it? Because I've been in situations where I wished I was undoxed purely because sometimes things can get personal when you're dealing with community. And I feel like sometimes when you're pseudonymous, it almost feels like you've got some protection, like you feel safer. Um, Not that I've felt like I was unsafe, but it's almost like in interaction it's almost like you've got your batman suit on because you've got this pseudonymous identity and you know i feel like there is some protection in that from a psychological standpoint whereas i feel kind of naked a little bit being completely doxxed and right. i think that's okay i think that was really important what we did partially because with Munda we have to interface with sort of traditional entities so if we were going to sign contracts with say a blue origin or other space exploration companies if we wanted to be legitimate in the eyes of sort of the space industry which is more traditional that already look at web3 and crypto with some suspicion Mm -hmm. and distrust that we would have to be undocked to do this the right way and to be as transparent to the community as possible when we interface with these traditional orgs and so i think it was necessary for moondao i'm not saying it's necessary for all DAOs. For us, it was, but it's not been easy. If there was a way to do this in an undoxed manner, like in a pseudonymous manner, maybe I would have gone down that path. But now that it's been done this way and we've achieved what we have achieved and been able to do the things that we want to do, 
I'm glad that we have done this. And maybe also being dogs has made the friendships that I've made a little more personal. I'm not sure. I'm happy the way things are. I, I think the journey has been meaningful. And I think being doxxed has been a part of that. And it's been like, I can't separate that from the journey mm -hmm. that we've had. I don't know if we've ever had this question posed this way. I'm so curious, Pablo. What's your experience? Yeah, so I've thought quite a lot about this. I'm, I'm on Twitter, right? And my Twitter has like my full name and theory, you know, my name is pretty searchable. I have like a hyphenated last name and you can find a lot of my like information online. And it's even something that like you can find my family's information because my last name is like kind of unique. And I worry about this sometimes for sure, because it's like a risk that I'm not just taking personally, but also for like the people around me, you can just find all my information. It's like right there. And I've thought about sort of this idea of like doing things under a pseudonym. But at the end of the day, I've like told my family this, I want to be able to like stand by everything that I do and say and like stake my reputation on that. Mm. I don't want to say like cowardly isn't the right word for people that are synonymous. I, I don't think that's the right word. But like Corey was saying, it's sort of like when some people have a mask on, they're willing to say things that they can't really stand by that they can't really defend necessarily. And it's like kind of like a personal challenge that I want to always with every one of my actions, like online or offline, I, I want to hold myself up a standard of like morality and integrity and never be able to like hide behind, you know, some sort of like fake pseudonym and then like trash mm -hmm. that if something goes wrong, you know, I want to like really have you know skin in the game, I, I guess. Um, because I, I think that's important. But then also like working in a very unregulated space is tough. Like we're working on things that a lot of the laws, they aren't built for this world or they just like don't really have much to say about it. It's like up to the interpretation of like some court. And so I get why a lot of people are sort of like under pseudonym because they want to like protect themselves in case like something bad happened. But um, right. yeah, like I, I don't want to like take some stance that like, oh, I'm, you know, ready to go to jail or like whatever, you know, <laughs> but it's more like, hey, I, I think everything that I'm doing here is really beneficial to like people. And like, I think this is the future of like the technology and I'm not doing anything to like hide or like scurve or get around the law. I'm trying to interpret things as best as I can, you know, and speak to lawyers and speak to people and try to figure out, okay, what is actually the best thing that we can do for people right now? and then try to do the right thing as much as possible. So thank you for that. It's a really hard topic and so new for us to sort of think about how to go about that. And, you know, I really respect uh, your approach to it. And I've heard you speak about Moondao, the goal of Moondao to not having a singular face or leader in order to be truly decentralized. And Corey, I'd also love to hear from you on this because it reminds me a lot of Juicebox, which has also adopted this sort of headless brand approach. This commitment to decentralization has a deep conceptual tie to the worldwide effort of Earthlings exploring space. So I'm really curious to know how do you intend to build Moondao without a singular face or leader? And is this an important problem for DAOs to solve going forward? Absolutely. I don't think all DAOs are made the same, by the way. I think there are levels to decentralization. And I think it's better to think convexly when it comes to DAOs. So I think there are some DAOs that are going to be more decentralized and less decentralized. And I think that's okay. When it comes to Moondao, the nature of our mission, we really think that it's important to be as decentralized as possible. But the thing is, being decentralized is easier when it's like you have a protocol and you're maintaining the protocol or you're sort of improving it over time. But when you're working on a mission that's extremely flexible and can meander and can pivot, 
over time, like the missions that sort of startups generally work on or sort of specific mission driven DAOs like MoonDAO that's working on space exploration. It's so flexible that decentralization is harder than say maintaining a blockchain. And so when you think about it from that lens, you have to start thinking sort of in an original manner. So with MoonDAO, and I now know that there are other DAOs that have a very similar approach. We have this idea of progressive decentralization, where we began with some level of centralization just to get things going, to set the incentives in place. Pablo referenced the idea of uh, the constitution that we've written up for the DAO. In other words, rules about the processes that are encoded into the way MoonDAO works, things like that have to be set up. And to do those things, it takes some level of centralization, which MoonDAO still has. Our goal is over time that we'd minimize the centralization. Currently, Pablo and I are two key stewards in the DAO. Our long-term hope, not hope, I really believe that we'll get to this point, is that we'll slowly step back so that everyone is fundamentally on the same level. And of course, there are roles and there can be some hierarchy as long as the flow is open. But to say that there's one leader, um, that's not even a word we like to use at Moondao, we prefer stewards is something that we want to get away from. And we've honestly made amazing progress on this. And I don't want to set a timeline on it, but I don't think it'll be too far when Moondao truly has as flat a hierarchy as is optimal for Moondao, which I think would be pretty flat. Pablo, what do you think here? I think that there is yeah, a difference between decentralization and leadership uh, or like stewardship. We're trying to move away from the idea of leader and more like steward. That seems to be the more fitting word for DAOs. You know, leadership or stewardship is actually a good thing as long as those leaders or stewards kind of like live or die at the hands of the governance or like the people and that they can be removed or a new leader can be added as the DAO feels fit. As long as the people that are sort of like leading or stewarding are doing so, I guess, by the consent of the governed and a decentralized ways, the power structure itself is in the hands of the people in the DAO, then I think, yeah, leadership is actually really good. It's really good to have someone that can be a voice of cohesiveness, you know, when there are a lot of different ideas and trying to find, you know, a way that they can all like fit together or a way that, you know, you can kind of strategize uh, to make the DAO successful in the long term. You know, I think all these things are really, really important, actually. And I think that they're natural ideas, too. And I don't think we'll ever totally get away from the idea of a leader or like someone who, to some extent, people want to have people that are like very involved, that have a lot of information, that are able to make really good decisions on behalf of the DAO and someone that they can kind of trust to make those recommendations. And then as long as they feel like they trust that person and that that person is doing the good thing, I think this is like good. So I think it's really important to separate those two ideas of stewardship and leadership and decentralization. Definitely. And if listeners want to get involved with MoonDAO, what should they do? How should they get involved? The biggest way currently is if you want to, you know, go to space, then you can buy one of our Ticket to Space NFTs. Um, in order to do so, you have to be registered in what we call the moon list. And this moon list is basically just a verification process because the NFTs are free. So we're doing this to basically avoid bots as much as possible. The NFTs also come with a governance token airdrop of Mooney, the token that we use to govern the DAO. It's a utility token, not a uh, security. No expectation of profit. <laughs> I have to say this all uh, uh, every time we mention it. 
yeah, I'd say those are the two ways to like very easily get involved with Mooney. You have a voice with the NFTs. You have a chance of engaging in basically the biggest goal that our DAO has. But then I'd also say if you really want to get involved, then consider becoming a moon settler. So this is a role inside of our DAO where you join a project. We have a bunch of active projects currently inside of the DAO, and a lot of them require, you know, more people, their roles to be filled. And so you can jump in and, and reach out to anyone who is, you know, stewarding one of the projects and get involved. If you really like what we're doing, then you can also propose a project yourself. So yeah, definitely hop into a town hall is probably the easiest way to, to get involved and then just say hi, introduce yourself. We have uh, moon buddies inside of the discord, which are, are sort of there to help onboard people and kind of orient them. We're pretty friendly as like a group. So if this is something that is like really interesting to you, jump in and there's a bunch of like-minded people that are, you know, into space and want to make collaborative space projects a thing on the internet. Sweet. And... Where can people follow MoonDAO on social? Yeah, so there's a website, MoonDAO.com. That will kind of link to everything else. There's the Discord. Probably the easiest way to find the Discord is through the Twitter <laughs> and, and the website. But MoonDAO.com is probably the easiest way to go. Twitter is, that's where we make most of our like big broad announcements. It's like our, our main social external platform. So definitely get give that a follow. And then Discord, that's like our main workspace. Our Twitter handle is OfficialMoonDAO. MoonDAO was taken. So official moon now. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and what about you, Pablo and Corey? You can follow me at uh, Larotiz Pablo. It's my, my mom's last name, L-A-R-R-O-T-I-Z and Pablo. Yeah. And I'm Corey G. Rogers. Awesome. Thank you both. It was super fun to talk today. We've really learned a lot, um, both in this conversation and preparing to talk to you. And we're really super excited to see your NFT launch next week and all the things that are going to happen in the future for MoonDAO. So we're going to be following really closely. And really from both Briley and myself, thank you so much for your time today, Pablo and Corey. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. This is cool. I love the Juice Cast. <laughs> It's one of my, my favorite podcasts. Actually, like I, I listen to most of them. <laughs> so this is really cool to be on it. Yeah, also shouts to our previous host, Nicholas, who hosted the first four episodes of JuiceCast. We've just worked on the two most recent ones for the reboot, Briley and I. So yeah, which was uh, Drop Nerd from SharkDAO and Chape and Dr. Gorilla from Moody's DAO. So definitely be more episodes going forward and very stoked for MoonDAO to be uh, one of our first few episodes. So again, thank you both. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Juicebox podcast. You can find us online at juicebox.money and on Twitter at juiceboxeth. Join the conversation at discord.gg juicebox. The Juicebox podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Views expressed by guests and the hosts do not reflect the views of Juicebox DAO or the Juicebox podcast. The Juicebox podcast is not investment advice or a solicitation to make any financial decisions. Projects on the Juicebox protocol are not vetted by Juicebox DAO. Each project on the Juicebox protocol is responsible for its own crowdfunding parameters. The tokenomics of one project may differ from other projects on the protocol. Do not purchase JBX tokens other cryptocurrencies, or make contributions to projects in anticipation of financial returns. Please, Please do, do your, your own, own research. research.